Hi, this is Lisa and Jason from the Designated Quizzers podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 212, An Officer and a Gentleman Movie Review. Brian, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, last time out, we held a pop culture fantasy draft for the year 1982, and Derek and I each drafted a, a team of three movies, three TV shows, three songs, and a personal pick, all from the year 1982. And then we sent our, our lists to our esteemed panel of judges, and the judges have rendered a verdict. And then we're going to find out which list was considered the winner. And then we're going to move on to review a movie from 1982. It was my selection. So I went with an officer and a gentleman. But before we get to all of that this week, what is new in the world of pop culture for you, Derek? Hey, Chris. Uh, Well, I think I need to start on a sad note and uh, let you know if you are not already aware of it that Taylor Hawkins, the drummer for the Foo Fighters, died this year at 50. Yes. Now, Chris, heard that. you're older than 50, and I'm pretty close to that myself. So mm-hmm. when you hear somebody dies at 50, and it's not in a horrific plane crash or because they you know, overdosed on drugs, it's always a little bit scary and hits a little close to home. Uh, so far, they're saying it seems to be natural causes with Taylor Hawkins. It doesn't seem like it was any sort of badness going on that led to this. And, um, you know, as a, as a huge fan of, of Foo Fighters music and of Taylor Hawkins ability, uh, I mean, he, he played with Alanis Morissette for a long time as well. He's a, he was a fantastic musician and, uh, we will certainly, um, uh, you know, we will remember him fondly and, um, you know, it's 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 like they say, it's uh, often duplicated, uh, often imitated, never duplicated. He's definitely one of those people will will try to aspire to be everything that he was, and he will be sadly missed. And obviously, with the uh, the passing of a, a member of the band, uh, Foo Fighters have canceled all the upcoming summer dates in their upcoming tour, uh, with, which is totally understandable. Uh, so. You know, I I personally had tickets to see them when they were coming through Toronto and was obviously looking forward to the show, which is not going to happen. But uh, yeah, so unfortunately, sad way to start our show. R.I.P. Taylor Hawkins, drummer with Foo Fighters, uh, died at 50 earlier this week. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll do a couple of more positive things, though. I finished watching or rather it finished airing. One of the uh, recent Star Trek spinoffs shows Star Trek Discovery just finished its fourth season last week. Uh, Chris, are you are you a fan of Star Trek, the Star Trek fan franchise, so, Next Gen, any of that stuff? Well, as you know, I've mentioned in the past when I was a kid back in the 70s, uh, Star Trek, the original, of course, was on in syndication. And I was a huge fan every day after school. I would race home and then play road hockey with my friends because I'm Canadian. And then we would watch Star Trek from five to six, you know, every single day. But, you know, all these new incarnations of the show and stuff like I never watched 
the next generation or deep space nine and this one discovery i didn't even never even heard of it until just now go figure well it's i i really i've been enjoying it i felt that the show um has gotten better and better with each season as a lot of these shows tend to do the first season or the first two seasons a lot of them are still struggling to find their footing um, the cast and, and uh, of the show are still trying to figure out what the characters are all about. The writers are still trying to figure out what the characters are all about. But Star Trek Discovery definitely started off strong, and I feel got stronger and stronger. One of the things that a lot of um, a lot of TV shows do now, especially shows on on cable and and um, you know premium cable, not that this one's on premium cable, but premium cable shows, is rather than do like the old Star Trek where each episode was just a self-contained, you know, here's something, uh, away team goes to the planet, you meet some aliens, everyone shoots them up and you'll learn a lesson at the end kind of thing. They've stopped doing that with this, uh, with these recent, ep- um, incarnations of Star Trek. So with Star Trek discovery, they've made it more of a longer story. So if there's 10 episodes in the season, it's a story that takes 10 episodes to tell. Uh, it's episodic in the sense that you you can't just jump in at, in episode six and then go back to episode three and then move ahead to episode eight. You're going to be lost. It's it's not like the old next gen where you could literally just turn on any episode and you don't really need to know anything about it. Every show was self-contained. Uh, some people like it better that way. I guess obviously more people do because that's how a lot of television works these days. Um, I personally love it. I think it really gives you a chance to uh, to really, you know, come up with a really creative story. It's like getting a nine-hour movie if it's a nine-episode run. And this Star Trek Discovery Season 4 I thought was really strong, and it had a great story. It introduced some interesting characters, some interesting challenges. And at the end of it, so my wife and I watched it together, and she turns to me and she said, oh, I guess – I guess that's the end of the show. Did they uh, did they get canceled or are they not get renewed? Did the, the actors decide to leave the show? And I was like, well, I don't think so, but you're right. It, it felt very definitive. Like this, not only was it the end of the, the season long arc, but it was a very satisfying, what we thought was the end to the series. And then, you know, an hour later we're on the internet. We're like, well, no, they're coming back for another season. So I just thought it was an, a, a weird choice from the creators to sort of, put this sort of stamp on the end of the season that, that really made it feel final. And I'm wondering if maybe they didn't know they were going to get picked up and they were sort of told, Hey guys, you better wrap this up just in case. But anyway, Star Trek discovery season four. If you, if you're watching Star Trek, you're a fan of Star Trek. If you've started watching discovery, maybe you haven't gone around to season four yet. It was great. By contrast, the new uh, Star Trek spinoff, Star Trek Picard season two just started. It's two or three episodes in and it is, disappointingly bad i like the first season enough to want to come back but i really think they're going in the wrong direction with this second season which is is quite disappointing so good star trek not so good star trek so anyway those are my uh, those are my picks for the week what about you chris did you do any pop culture stuff this week well i mentioned last episode uh, me and the family went down to florida it was like a working vacation i worked the whole week but my wife and kids, like, they visited with their grandma. She's down there. And they hung out on the beach and, you know, all that Florida kind of stuff. And, of course, as I mentioned last week, I got to meet Yance Eaton for the first time. You know, him and his wife are just amazing human beings. Like, they're just great. He's one of my best friends in the whole wide world. And we'd never met in person. So it was pretty cool. But one thing that we did do, we took a day and we went to Disney. Now, Derek, I never get this right. Is it Disneyland or Disney World that's in Florida? I always get those mixed up. I don't know. If it's not if it's not Canada's Wonderland here in Toronto, I have no it's idea. Like, I don't know. So whichever one it was, I think I think it's Disney World. Anyway, um, we went uh, we went there and we got one of the first things we wanted to do. We just we went to um, the we just went to the one park. It was uh, Hollywood Studios because it's got all the Star Wars stuff. 
So we get there and you can like book like lightning lanes. It's really complicated, right? But the one that you, you got to wait in line for is that new one. It's called Rise of the Resistance. So we went and we got in line for that one first and then we waited in line for it and then booked our lightning lanes for the other rides. We waited three hours. Three wow. hours in line for this ride. And uh, so that was something. That was our whole morning was waiting in line. But anyway, so we get in there and the way it works is you get into this room and they they, they be like, maybe 20 people together and they put you all in this kind of room and you're in this spaceship, you know, and then there's like a screen in front of you and there's like Admiral Akbar is there and then like Poe Dameron comes on the screen and all this stuff goes on. And then all of a sudden you realize like, you, you know, you're flying and, and, and then, and then it, it, you get captured by the, uh, the, by the empire, the bad guys, they get you. And then you, they, they pull you in a tractor beam and you go in and all of a sudden the door opens up and this guy walks in you know, and he's in character and he's all dressed up. He's an Imperial guard. And then he escorts you into the next room. And as you go into the room, it's all stormtroopers standing there. It was, it was pretty cool. But the one thing that got me was the guy that came in and I, I don't want to be one to criticize, but I mean, like, like we all really like Star Wars, you know, and, and, and so we're all excited. And the guy comes in and he just, I felt like he had no energy. Like he was like, okay, everybody follow me. We're going into this next room. And I was thinking like, Derek, when we first met, I worked at Ontario Place and it was in Toronto. Definitely not Disney World, but it was like kind of like a theme park-ish kind of thing. And I did like, I was a costume character and I did like children's theater and stuff. Every single person that I met, it didn't matter if I did it a million times in a day. I gave it my all. I put everything out there, you know, to make sure they had the best time. And I was really kind of surprised by the person that was like the actor that was playing this part because like, like, I mean, if it was me, I would have walked in there and I, you know, I would have been like, okay, you rebel scum, come with me. You know, you're under control of the empire now and then bring them out. And then you see all these stormtroopers just blows you away. And I know you got to do it like 200 times a day, but I don't know. I just felt like just bring it. So I don't know. I was a little bit disappointed in the whole thing, but the other thing too was when you get out there and all the stormtroopers, I said to my wife, I said, these aren't like real stormtroopers. They're like, what's the new one? The, uh, the first order. That's the bad guys now. Yeah. Right? And so, so like, I'm like, oh, they're all like these first order stormtroopers. And my wife's like, what are you talking about? And so then later on when we got out of the park and I showed her a picture of like the original stormtroopers and then the first order ones and they, and she's like, oh yeah, they do look different. Those old ones are way cooler. I'm like, yes, I know. The new ones kind of look like the back end of a, of a Kia minivan or something. I don't know. So overall, it was a good day. We enjoyed ourselves at uh, Disney, but uh, a little bit disappointed, like I say, in the actors there. I'm kind of nitpicking. Am I? Well, a little bit. I mean, you are a dad and that seems to be your lot in life is to just criticize others. <laughs> well, speaking of me being a dad, I got this. Here's your dad joke of the week. Derek, I figured since we're reviewing an officer and a gentleman this episode that I do a Navy dad joke for you. Okay. okay. All right. So why don't pirates join the Navy? Hmm. I don't know. They prefer the army. You, you will be dishonorably discharged for telling that joke again. But you know me, Derek, I'm the champion 
of Gen X pop culture. Did Simpsons it, did it. Yeah. Simpsons did it. Yeah. Man, that Beyonce sure is hot. I'm already not comfortable where this is going, but okay. You've there got we male go. M-A-L-E. There we go. Very good. Okay. Jeez. Figure that one out on your own. You may have some explaining about your internet history. No kidding. We did it in Canada first. I overlooked the obvious answer there. All right. Half of you men run over to the town square, and the others will run with mucus. That drops make me laugh. Sorry. Okay. So before we get to our movie, we have a little bit of business to get to this week, Derek. So, so as you know, last week we held another round of our pop culture fantasy draft, you know, combining my, my two loves in this world, fantasy sports and pop culture. And we went with the year 1982. So Derek, you and I each had to draft a team of three movies, three TV shows, three songs, and a personal pick. And our list, do you want me to just go over our list briefly? Sure. So my three movies were E.T., Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and An Officer and a Gentleman. And your three movies were Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Tootsie, and 48 Hours. My TV shows were Knight Rider, New Heart, and Silver Spoons, whereas you went with uh, TV shows Cheers, Family Ties, and T.J. Hooker. And then for songs, I went with Thriller, Michael Jackson, of course. And then I also had Eye of the Tiger from Survivor and White Wedding by Billy Idol. And you had Hungry Like the Wolf, Duran Duran, good pick. And then you also had 1999 by Prince and Beat It by Michael Jackson. And my personal pick was Porky's, the movie, and your personal pick was Zapped, okay? So our lists were pretty solid, you know? And then, like I say, we sent off our, our list to our esteemed panel of judges, and they reviewed the list, and they each cast a ballot, and you know, on, on the list that they felt best represented 1982, and therefore won the draft. And we gotta always remember, whoever wins the draft gets the coveted trophy, which is the Funko Fonzie. So, so Derek, are you ready now for our producer Sloth to unveil the winner? Yes, I am. All right, here we go. The winner is... Chris. Oh, I got the Funko Fonzie. It was a six to three vote. Derek, you did very well. Well, one of the things that I uh, I realized after the fact is mm-hmm. you you always say you got to play to the judges, you got to play to the judges. So, two of my picks I picked specifically because I knew they would play to one of the judges. And so after a few days had passed, I reached out and said like, "Hey, did you have a chance to vote?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, I sent him my results." I'm like, "Which list did you go with?" And he went with yours. And I was like, "Really?" I said, "Well." Why did you, you know, I said, I I picked these things on my list that I figured would appeal to you. And he's like, oh, I I like those a lot. But he goes, you know, I just couldn't vote for a list that had Duran Duran on it. I'm like, (laughs) really? Like, come on. This is the danger we take when you pioneer to one judge, you know. But again, even if even if I had swung that one judge, I still would have been down a a vote. So if I had only lost by the one, I would have been even more disappointed. Mm. So. Yeah, no, not so much. Um, so since we did 1982 with our draft, it was over to me to get the ball rolling with our movie reviews. Because after we do our drafts, we each need to pick a movie from that year uh, for us to go back and watch. Uh, your pick is next week, Derek. We're going to find out which movie you're going to pick at the end of this week's episode. But first, it was my choice. And I went with one of my three movie picks in the draft, and that's An Officer and a Gentleman. The movie was directed by Taylor Hackford. Stars uh, Richard Gere, Deborah Winger, and Louis Gossett Jr. Had a budget of $6 million. It made $129 million 
at the domestic U.S. box office. That put it in the top five grossing movies that were released that year. It was nominated for six Oscars. It won two of them for Best Supporting Actor and Best Song. Now, Derek, coming into this, you had never seen this movie. Isn't that right? That's correct. I never saw it until this week. Nice. So, okay, so why don't you get things going uh, on this and maybe just give us your initial take on the movie, just, you know, considering that you were coming in fresh on this one. So, so uh, take it away. Give us a synopsis of sure. of how you liked it or what you So, sure. So, all I knew about the movie was it starred Richard Gere and Lou Gossett Jr. Mm-hmm. It was something to do with the military and it was called An Officer and Gentleman. That's all I knew. So, I always assumed that the officer and the gentleman that were referenced in the titles were Richard Gere and Lou Gossett Jr. All oh, two talking, different talking, people. Talking mm-hmm. about two people, right? Mm-hmm. One guy's an officer, one guy's a gentleman. I'm like, okay. I just always assumed that's what it was because I didn't know anything about the movie. I'm watching it. I'm going, well, which one's supposed to be the gentleman? Because he's not an officer because he's in training. And I'm like, is the drill sergeant an officer? I'm like, I guess. I just, I don't know enough about the military. And I was like, so that in the back of my mind was not like I was trying to reconcile that for the first half an hour of the movie. And then it sort of dawned on me. I was like, I wonder if it's just supposed to be like the one guy is both of those things. Cause I'm like, he certainly doesn't seem like a gentleman and he's not an officer yet. So I'm like, maybe that's sort of where this movie's leading to is by the end of this movie, he will be both an officer and a gentleman. Right. And I thought, okay. And I mean, turns out apparently that's, that's the point. And I don't know, I guess, you know, everybody but me knew that, but I don't think that would have made me want to watch the movie any earlier than today. Uh, So anyway, it reminded me of like St. Almost Fire where I'm like, well, where the hell's the fire? Like, you know, when you don't understand what they're getting at with the title, maybe I'm just dense. I don't know. But the title, the title came from an old uh, saying from the, from the military that's, that was like this, this is um, a conduct unbecoming an officer and a gentleman. So. Oh, see, again, I I didn't know that context and. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is, it is what it is. So anyway, uh, sat down to watch the movie and uh, couldn't wait for it to finish. I thought this movie was terrible. Oh, God. This is going to be an interesting episode. <laughs> didn't, didn't keep me interested. I thought his character was, oh, wow. you know, I don't want to say despicable. That might be a little bit too harsh. But no. looking at it with today's lens as well, a, so much of this movie just made me feel uncomfortable watching it. Um you know, just the the way that the uh, the people in power treated those who had none, um, especially you know in the military, and that's common it's with basic a lot of training. military movies. It's basic training, but true. But I mean, it's again, I could be totally wrong, but I was under the impression that like that kind of treatment is is more frowned upon now than it was back then. And I know we always say like you've got to understand it's got to yeah. be in the context of of the time in which it was made. Not that that excuses anything that happens in these movies, but. You know, I'm always thinking of that, but you really, you know, I didn't watch it in 1982. I watched it in 2022. So I'm looking at it with the 2022 goggles and trying to remember, well, what would this have been like in the time? Um, I also found that the sort of the, you know, we'll call it the moral of the of the movie or, or maybe not the moral is the wrong term, but the way the movie ended where it was like, oh, well, you know, he's going to sweep her off her feet and take her away from all this and give her a better life. And it's like, it, the, the message is almost like, well, you know, without uh, the the help of this uh, strapping young gentleman, this woman is going to live a crappy life. And I just thought that wasn't really a very strong and positive message. But again, I guess in 1982, 
it's looked at in a different way. So that didn't sit well with me either. And and honestly, I just I was bored. I thought it was long. I thought it was boring. I thought so many scenes were completely unnecessary. Uh, I thought it was extremely predictable. I, I read online they were like, "This is one of the top fifty most romantic movies ever." <laughs> like, really? How, really? Like, I didn't find. I didn't really feel the romance of this really at all. I mean, maybe the end scene where again he comes in and they're like, "Oh, he came back for me." It's like. I don't know. I did. I just didn't like okay. it. All. Well, we're going to spend the next little while breaking this thing down. But the only thing I can say to you is, man, now I had not seen this movie in 30 years. It's been a long time since I saw it. So, you know, it was it was interesting for me to watch it. You are absolutely 100 percent wrong. You're wrong on so many levels. And I'm going to hopefully get into some of it with you tonight. This movie is unbelievable. Like it was just phenomenal. It um, was unbelievably yeah, bad. No. The only thing that I liked about this movie was the theme song. And again, that's because I've been hearing it for how, when it's coming. So for 40 years. Mm -hmm. So that to me was like the only shining point of this movie was the theme song. And I mean, it's kind of a mellow sappy theme song, but mm -hmm. it is what it is. And I knew it and I'm like, Oh, Hey, the theme song. Which, yeah, I mean, the theme song is pretty pervasive throughout the film, too. Like, there's yeah. instrumentals, you know, parts yes. of it. So I don't even think that it should have won Best Oscar that year for Best Song. I thought the song from Tootsie was better, but that's just me. Okay, so let's, let's start this movie with talking a bit about the cast. So we'll start, obviously, with Richard Gere. I just, like, I don't know what it is with movies opening up with Richard Gere waking up and, like, walking to look out a window that involves male nudity. Like, it was like we saw this with American Gigolo and then again here. Now, in in American Gigolo, it was Richard Gere that was nude. And here it's Robert Loggia. Stark departure from his piano scene with Tom Hanks and Big. That's for sure. But, uh, but the thing about Richard Gere for me is that he, he wasn't just a pretty boy. Like, I feel that he was a really good actor. The, and, and that is something that he fought against his whole career. I, I don't think people took him very seriously as an actor because of his good looks. I had the same problem when I was an actor, Derek, by the way. Uh, so yeah, I can totally yeah, I relate. Heard that. You know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on Richard Gere just in general? I mean, you didn't like this movie, but I mean, what do you think of him as an actor? Um, he's decent. I mean, I, I don't dislike him, but I, at the same time, don't really you know go out of my way to watch his stuff I, I was looking at his imdb page and i was actually surprised at how many of his movies i had actually seen uh but mostly the stuff i saw that he was in was basically from the mid 80s to the late 90s like i don't think i i think this is the earliest of his works i've seen i haven't seen american gigolo uh i mean pretty woman of course everyone remembers him from pretty woman sure uh and then he did uh, primal fear in uh, the mid 90s uh edward chicago Norton. in like 2003 in chicago yeah, yeah like he's been in a lot of movies that have 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 had great um great reviews and have uh won performance awards and movie awards you know like chicago obviously won best picture and Catherine zeta jones won an oscar for it he was in primal fear edward norton was nominated did he actually win for that i think edward norton might have won for that one so like he he's definitely been in some projects that have had some high praise uh and and then i mean obviously pretty woman made a ton of money and was super super popular and mm -hmm. and if he wasn't already super famous he became super famous with a whole new generation of, of moviegoers but uh yeah, for me, I'm sort of a take them or leave them kind of guy. I don't dislike him, but at the same time, I, you know, he wouldn't make my top twenty list of favorite male performers. Okay, fine, fair enough. Uh, but Deborah I do Winger. think he's talented. I, I like. Don't get me wrong. It's not that. Oh well, I think he's a terrible actor. Mm -hmm. I just, 
not my cup of tea. So Deborah Winger, I want to talk about because uh, I think people think of her making her debut in Urban Cowboy with John Travolta, but she actually got her start two years before that in a movie called Thank God It's Friday. And, and I remember that movie very well. So I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but when I was nine years old, Eric, my family moved to Venezuela for a year. My yep. dad's job took him, took all of us there. And when we were there, there was only Spanish language TV. This is before the days of Netflix. I mean, it was before the days of cable, actually, back then, for crying out loud. But um, so we had like a handful of VHS tapes of movies that we would just watch over and over and over again. And thank God it's Friday was one of them. It was was this movie about like this one night at a disco club and like everything that happens there. And Deborah Winger was this teenage girl in the movie and she tries to sneak into the disco club. Her and her friend was Terry Nunn. She, uh, she went on to be the lead singer uh, for the 80s group Berlin. Remember Take My uh, Breath okay. Away? Remember yep. that song? Yeah. She, she was also on the short list to play Princess Leia. Terry wow. Nunn was. She, uh, oh. Until, until Carrie Fisher, you know, came in there and blew them away. But anyway, so Deborah Winger. So um, she's always had this reputation of being one of the hardest people to work with, like in Hollywood history. And then she basically left Hollywood in the 90s. And let me tell you, her and Richard Gere, they did not get along well when they were making this movie. Yeah, I was reading that in the the trivia. Probably fair to say that when they were shooting this film, they absolutely hated each other. But the thing is, you cannot deny the chemistry that goes on between them. I personally think this might be the strongest on-screen chemistry that I have ever seen in a Hollywood movie in my entire life. You might not have liked the movie. What did you think of the chemistry between the, the two leads? I don't know. I was so disinterested. It just didn't make any, it didn't give me anything. I was like, whatever. Here's two beautiful people making out what, you know, can the, we move on with this? Are oh, we almost yeah. over? Like, let's get on with this. God, Derek, you have no, the way they look at each other, the scene when they first meet face to face at that dance, when David Keith makes the first move yeah. to approach the girls and Deborah Winger, if you, if you go back and watch it, like, I know you won't go back and watch yeah, it. I won't. Yeah. I'm telling but you right you, now. If, if you gonna. see that scene, she basically wills him toward Lynette because of her attraction to uh, Richard Gere is just so palpable. And then and then after that, there's, the, there's a scene, and you, you mentioned like, oh, the, you know, like he's a jerk and stuff like that. But there's that scene when he tries to like push her away, right? And make her leave the hotel room. And he's like, get out of here. Get out of here. And then she stays and then they have this like graphic sex scene together. And then in the morning. Well, hold on, hold on. Yep. She stays, but he goes after her and sort of like, like she's trying to get out the door right. and he puts his arm on it. And it's like, I know this is being played in a certain way, but from a certain point of view, it's like, hey, if she's trying to leave, let her leave. I, I mean, I know that wasn't the, the intent of this scene, mm-hmm. but for a second when you see it, because it's a similar thing in Blade Runner where it's like, oh, it's so romantic where he gets it on with Rachel. It's like, well, yeah, but does it? And so, yeah, it didn't. Anyway, keep going. Sorry. No, I mean, I again, we're, I think we'll let's just kind of shelve that and we'll come back to it because there's sure. reasons why. Like, it's not it's not him being a jerk because he's a jerk toward women. And it's now, that's it's the, not 1982 anymore. So back then you could be like mean toward women. And now that's not what was going on in that scene. No, we're gonna, I, we're I come understand back that. that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. But um, well, like I say, so they, they have this like sex scene together. And then in the morning he wakes up and, and for the first time in his life, there's a woman who's actually there 
with him, for him. And they just embrace. And the chemistry for me, it's just it's just off the charts. And then the 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 scene when Richard Gere gets out of bed and he's naked, it's it's almost like he was in his contract back then, I think. You want Richard Gere in a movie? You you know I'm his agent. You want Richard Gere in here? Okay, the script has to have a scene where he gets out of bed naked, you know. But but um the, I, I just think the chemistry between them was like it's what makes this movie so good. You know, there's a lot of things in this movie that I like. I think I think the script is great, the performances, the realism, the graphic approach to the subject matter. I feel the the themes of things like honor and courage and love and sex and like I say, the chemistry between the leads, it just kind of ties it all together. I you know, I, so I got thinking and I was like, I was trying to think of chemistry between a male and female lead that was stronger than this, and I don't think I can come up with one. My, I would ask my wife and she's like, oh, well, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga had the best chemistry that she'd ever seen in um, A Star is Born, the mm-hmm. remake, a few years back. I never saw that one. Did you ever see that one? Yeah, like four or five times. It was great. And, and their chemistry is quick. I, I didn't, like I said, but I did see them. They sang together at the Oscars. And I will say, like, that was that was pretty good. <laughs> that, was, that was something else. So she might have a bit of a point there. Um, I think of like Leo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet in Titanic, but their their chemistry was good, but it wasn't amazing like it was in this movie. I also liked um, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed in It's a Wonderful Life. I thought they had good on-screen chemistry. I, I fall in love with Donna Reed over and over again every Christmas Eve. Oh man, she was something else. But um, the supporting cast, I feel, in addition to the leads, I feel that the supporting cast was really good in this. So Louis Gossett Jr., my God, as fully. I mean, he won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for this role. So he he won. He was up against uh, Charles Durning from The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. John Lithgow from The World According to Garp. John Lithgow was phenomenal in that movie, by the way. James Mason in The Verdict and Robert Preston in Victor Victoria. He deserved that Oscar. I mean... He was good. Did you at least like his performance in any way? Um, yeah, I mean, he was good. Uh, yeah, he was good. I got no problem with him getting the the recognition and the uh, the award. I, I didn't really necessarily care for the character, but I, you know, again, I can separate the performer from the character. He did a good job and certainly deserving. After he made this movie, he like I say, he wins the Oscar, and then he didn't do much else. He went on to make these like stupid Iron Eagle movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever saw. I saw the original Iron Eagle. Yeah, I saw the, the first theater. one in the theater. I, I thought this. I saw in the theater too. I thought it was dumb at the time, and they made like four sequels to that stupid thing. But uh, but before this, he was in the Deep. It was based on Peter Benchley's novel, and oh, he was in Jaws 3D too. But I mean, this was the defining role of his career. I mean, oh, damn, he was amazing. Um, Lisa Eilbacher, did you recognize her from Beverly Hills Cop? I was going to say she Seagull. was in Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I thought she was good. I I really like the the whole subplot of her trying to get over the wall, and um, and and also like her character kind of represented how gender was approached, you know, by males in the military back then. Uh, David Crusoe, you know, obviously recognized him. Yep, he was a thing there for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, it really was. I remember him from First Blood, and then yes, that's then right. This movie, obviously, and then didn't he do like NYPD Blue? He did one season and he's like, I'm too big for this show. I quit. I'm going to yeah. have a good movie career. Yeah, I'm going to go. And he went on to do Jade. It's like, really? You're doing yeah, like a like, and like, I am like skin flick? Kiss of death or something like that. And then, yeah. Okay. 
going to go back to TV now. And didn't he do CSI like Miami or one of those? Yeah, for like, like 10 seasons yeah. or something ridiculous. Um, David Keith, I want to mention him. He was, I thought he was really good as Sid, Sid Worley. Um, I remember him too from there. There was this Canadian movie. So, so Derek, I, I don't know if you remember. I told a story a couple times here on the podcast about this horror movie convention that I went to back in the early 90s. And I got into an argument with this Canadian film director named Ron Oliver. Mm-hmm. And he went on to direct this movie that was shot in Niagara Falls. So, so I, went to, I went to see it. And um, I used to do a lot of acting in that city. I wasn't in the movie, but he hated me. He would never have cast me. But anyway, the movie was called Liar's Edge. And it was really stupid. But David Keith was in it. I always remember him. He, he played the bad guy. Shannon Tweed was in that movie too. So that should tell you how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Although Kathleen Robertson was in it too. I always loved her as an actress. But uh, anyway, so that's, I'm just going to go on these tangents. Sorry. But I mean, I thought, I thought David Keith was, was really good in this. I thought he was important to the story. Um, when he asks Lynette to marry him and she turns him down and then he goes to the motel and swallows the ring. And then when Gear and, and Winger find him hanging from the belt in the shower, I, I, I think one of the things that I like the most about this movie is how realistic that it treats all the subject matter, you know? So, so, so maybe we can talk about that for a bit. So, so some of the themes in the film I felt were, were handled very, very well and very realistically. Uh, first and foremost is sex. So this movie depicts sex very graphically. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the movie actually had an X rating when it was first uh, screened by the MPAA. So the, the director had to cut out a few parts from the sex scene between Winger and Gear. And if you think back to the 80s, a lot of movies back then had a lot of gratuitous nudity. <laughs> you know, that's what they were all about. But this one was graphic, but it wasn't gratuitous. At least I didn't think so. I think it just adds to the realism of the film. I mean, like, any thoughts on that? No, I, I mean, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. I thought that the the sex scenes and the nudity that was in there was was done in in a, a way that made sense for the story. It didn't feel gratuitous. Although I did read some stuff where. Um, Deborah Winger did, was did not want to do the nudity, but they basically, again, in 1982, women didn't have as much power, and they said, "Well, you didn't put a no nudity clause in your thing, so you're doing it." Um, so, uh, you know, I'm sure there would there could have been ways to shoot some of those scenes with without doing the the nudity, or you know, again, they do that on TV all the time, but uh, it worked. I mean, it worked for what it was, and and again, in the context of 1982, I got to think that this was probably somewhat progressive in the sense of showing how. You know, women can can make the choice. A single woman can make the choice to like go out and pick up these guys. It's not just, oh well, you know, uh, I'm gonna wait for uh, the man to come along and uh, and propose marriage to me, kind of thing. Um, although, as it turns out, obviously the friend was was trying to you know trap a man. Um, so, but no, I, I agree with what you said about the uh, you know the love scenes actually mm-hmm. were were done in a way that was that made you get a sense of of what the the emotion was in the scene for sure yeah and speaking of love like i think this movie touches base on love in the in the fact that it's that love is messy you know it's not just about boy meets girl you know boy and girl fall in love and and everything is well you know like things are complicated you know and, and especially in this case like you've got the, the the male lead who has this history of of abuse and you know this skewed view of like sex thanks to his dad 
I mean, I mean, the dad introduces him to like Vietnamese prostitutes when he's like 12, you know, so his entire view of sex and women, it's just all messed up from an early age. So I think love is not going to be something that's going to be easy for this character. And he lost his mom by suicide. And even that scene when he's explaining that to Winger, I, mm. I just, I thought Richard Gere was really good at this. That scene, it's like the first time that he's ever been intimate with, with a person. And he finally opens up. Um, one of the other themes in this film that I thought was really important is, is obstacles. So this movie, the whole movie is about obstacles. Like the, there's the obstacle course, which for me is a metaphor for the whole movie. When they, they first get to basic training, Foley is like, you got to get past me, you know? And then immediately the next shot is the factory where the girls work. And the local girls, like you said, they have a history of like trying to trap officers, right? And that's another obstacle, you know? And then there's the math class was an obstacle. The, 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 the belt buckles and all that stuff and, and that the childhood that he had and he had the bad father and the dead mother. And these are all obstacles that are in the way of this character. So for me, it's not just like this shallow movie. You know, it just, it works on so many levels. And the thing is, I feel like it never plays down the realism. You know, like every scene is just so realistic, whether they're in the, the trailer or that kind of poor house where Winger lives in. Like the whole thing just feels so gritty and real. I don't know. Mm. I, I thought it was a very realistic depiction of, of things. Yeah, know, that's, that's definitely fair. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't disagree with it. I just, it, it can be realistic and not entertaining. Well, yeah, I guess. I remember when they first got to that obstacle course, I said to my wife, I'm like, I could totally do that. She just laughed uh, at me. I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, oh, that looks like fun. Except <laughs> unlike you, I think I actually could. I don't think I could beat the course record by any stretch of the imagination, but. I'm, I'm sure I couldn't do it. Like I said, my wife laughs at me. She's like, you couldn't do that. It's like I'm a living joke or something. Um, so, uh, and, and then I thought it was important when they first get to the end of the obstacle course. You know, all the other candidates are like staying back and they're cheering on all their classmates and gears just off alone. Mm -hmm. Right. Again just kind of plays into other themes things like honor and duty i um i, I, I know, thought... that, that that to me was a little on the nose i found there were some choices in this that were like it was almost like the people making the movie were like hey in case you didn't get it let's bash you over the head with it here's a thing and i did find there was a few scenes in the movie where it just felt like okay yeah i get it you don't have to keep piling it on so thick and that was one where it was like, oh, yeah. well, we're going to have him go over. They're like, look, he's an outsider. He's not part of the team. And this is all about, you know, how are you going to lead a team when you can't even work with the team you're here with? Basically, like, yeah, we get it. Thank you. I liked, I liked how the, the script brings it in into the dialogue because in one scene, you've got uh, Sid, his friend, who's talking about how you've got a duty to other people in your life. You know, your family, your friends, your, your unborn child, you know, and Richard Gere is all about duty to yourself first, you know, and that's not an easy, clear cut theme that the movie is exploring. And, and I think the movie's better as a result of it. You know, it's not just this shallow movie about these two Navy candidates who just meet two girls. They all hook up or, you know, whatever it, it, it could have been a lot more simplistic, but Instead, the movie explores a lot of the complications. And I think it kind of looks at all the different layers and how complex a lot of these things are. Like I said, like sex and love and, and duty and honor and courage. And 
it's all a journey that you have to take. It's not always black and white. You know, there's not always answers that just kind of wrap up neatly. I don't know. That's, I think that's what I like about this movie. There's just so much. So the scene where Foley teaches the, the hand-to-hand combat. And obviously, Gear pays attention because they go to the, the local bar and he uses those moves on the local that tries to fight him. Did you recognize the uh, the song that was playing in the background? Uh, I, I did, but I don't remember what it was. It was Tush by ZZ Top. Yes, yes. that was by ZZ Top. Uh, yeah, I, I was like, oh man, I got to make a note of that and mention that to Derek because we both love ZZ Top. Um, but hang on, you, I, I think I don't think you got that right. So uh, the song was right, but what you said before, where it was like, oh, during the the martial arts training, he was paying attention because you saw him put these moves on. Uh, I, he later in the movie when they're fighting, he even says something like, "Oh, I see you've had some training or something." I j- I got the impression that he probably learned to fight from his father and from you know the upbringing that he had, you know, going from military base to military base. You get the sense that he was always in trouble. Um, that that was my impression was if this isn't a skill that he picked up since he's been in this basic training this is something that he actually knows how to do because the other guy that's with him his buddy is like seems to be just as surprised like oh my god how did you do that like they've they've been in the same training courses if if he had learned that in basic tra- i'm gonna keep calling it basic training i don't know if it's mm-hmm. basic officers training officers, i think if whatever, he, yeah. i think if they had learned that as a part of their course the other guy would have his reaction would have been different and either would have been like Oh, hey, you know, I see those courses have been paying off or or he'd be like, yeah, I've had, you know, like I think that it wouldn't be more it wouldn't be so much surprise as much as it would be um, probably more complimentary around mm-hmm. the like, oh, yeah, you're really getting the hang of that kind of thing. But again, yeah, it's not maybe, it's not clearly defined, yeah. so it could go either way. Yeah, that maybe that's a good point. I just I think of it more like the flashbacks that we see are more of him like getting beat up. You know, when he was well, younger rather than him using it. So and I read a thing that said the 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 moves he uses on the guys outside the bar are exactly the same moves that the gang put on him at the beginning of the movie. Oh, so yeah, maybe that makes some sense. Um that scene though when, when Foley's teaching them the hand to hand combat, mm-hmm. and remember he picks the guy out of the crowd to come up with him. David Caruso. Yeah, it it totally reminded me of that scene in Police Academy. Remember where the drill sergeant calls up hooks? And he's like, remember that? He's like, here is the house. Here is the window. I'm a burglar carrying a stolen stereo. And she's like, this is a stick up. It just reminded me of that whole scene. I don't know why. Remember the tackleberry? Yeah. <laughs> Here's the house. Here's the window. You know, I'm a burglar. And he's like, drop that stereo before I blow your damn off. <laughs> just love that scene. We got to do that movie too, by the way. So another theme in this movie is friendship. And at one point, Foley points out the gear doesn't have any friends. He's only got customers, you know. Mm-hmm. And when he's a kid, like we mentioned, like his quote unquote friends, these Asian kids, they, they take him in an alley and they beat him up. Right. And, you know, then in this movie, as things go on, his only male friend that he ever has kills himself, you know, hangs himself in the shower. And, you know, this, this is why he's all by himself, because, you know, it's why he thinks you have a duty and a responsibility to yourself in this world. And, you know, that's why he's going for the obstacle course record, right? He he, he just wants to go for himself. And that's why I like the scene. And yeah, maybe it's contrived. But when he stops to help Seeger get over the wall, because he's starting to develop friendships, right? He starts to realize how important friendships are. And Well, I, but hold on, hold on. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's what it was? Because I read it differently. I okay. read it as... 
if he wants to be an officer and he wants to actually stay in the military and be successful, he needs to demonstrate that he can do these things to his teacher. So I didn't get the sense necessarily that it was, I am a changed person as much as I understand I need to do these things in order to actually become what I'm trying to become. And I like, I don't think a good leader needs to be your best friend. I think the people, you know, uh, uh, people under a leader need to respect them and, and know that they can do, you know, that they are, are an expert in whatever it is they're asking their people to do. And I, that was more the sense I got was it wasn't out of genuine compassion as much as it was, if I'm going to be the leader that I need to be or that they want me to be, I have to demonstrate this empathy, even if I don't necessarily feel it myself, because mm. I certainly didn't get the sense that he felt it himself. Well, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I felt that he did because I felt that Seeger was his friend. Yeah, I definitely felt that, uh, uh, um, you know, oh, no, sorry, Seeger, that was the woman. I know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking Worley. Worley no, no. was. Uh, I'm talking about the, the scene where yeah. Seeger, she couldn't make it yeah, over the on wall. The so he went board. back and he was like. You get over that wall. You do you. You foot by you know step by step. You yeah. walk up that wall, and 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 he was going for the record. And instead of getting the record, he went back and helped her. So I I thought that was pretty cool. The other the other scene to me that stood out in that regard was when he's with Winger and he says to her, uh, "You're all alone in this world," and she goes, "I bet most people would 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 buy that line when you feed it to them." Mm-hmm. And then he realizes in that moment. You know, they're, they're finally, there's someone in the world that sees through him. You know, like she knows him better than anyone else has ever known him. So he experiences intimacy, you know, for the first time. And for me, it just added to all the, the chemistry and the power of the scene. I, I thought everything was working in this movie. I thought, oh, I thought it was great. And then even the, the themes of, of, of character. I, I, I like how he keeps saying over and over, like, I want to fly jets. I want to fly jets. I want to fly jets. And then Foley says to him, he's trying to get him to quit. And he's like, why do you want to be here? He's like, I want to fly jets. And Foley's like, we're not talking about flying. We're talking about character. And it was all about character. I don't know. I, I thought the movie was very realistic. I, that's what I, you obviously didn't, but I did. I just, I just didn't care for it. I didn't find it entertaining. I thought it was slow. I thought it was boring. I, uh, again, maybe it's just the fact that it's, uh, you know, it, it, this happens sometimes when, uh, younger people go back to watch movies from, you know, many years before they were born. It's like you're used to movies today being done a certain way. And when you go back to watch the quote unquote classics, sometimes the classics hold up no matter what fast, slow, different kind of shooting style, different perform, whatever. But some of them, it's like they can definitely be recognized as big in their time. But you watch them now and you're like, yeah. It's not even that it doesn't hold up. I think it holds up for what it is. I just, it's its not the kind of movie I enjoy. So, And, and that's fine. But I mean, you have to be able to realize that this movie cuts to the bone. Like it, like it's so realistic in regard to things like, like nudity and the, even the locations and, and the dialogue. The profa- At one point, Gear drops the C word when he goes to see Lynette. The, that, that suicide scene. Like, I found it very realistic. And I actually found it hard to watch in that scene when he, when he pulls Sid down. Mm-hmm. And then in the scene in the factory where when her mother stops her from chasing after him, I just I felt like these actors can flat out act. Like, they, I felt like they were all really, really on their game here. I mean, 
and I, I don't know if it's just their talent alone or the, the script or the director or whatever it is, but there's some strong scenes in this movie. Oh, by the way, did you recognize the, the actress that played the mom? Uh, no. She was from Seinfeld. You used to watch Seinfeld. Well, you're not a huge Seinfeld fan, but she was Susan Ross's mom. Who's Susan Ross? You remember George's fiance that died from licking the envelopes? Uh, okay. Yeah, and, and like she, like her and her husband hated George because they blamed her for Susan's death. Anyway, so she was in that. So um, then, the scene at the end when when Sid dies and and Richard Gere goes back to to DOR, he's going to go back to drop on request, and he's like, "Oh, is that what DOR stood for?" Yes, I did. drop on request is okay. DOR. Did, was that explained in the movie anywhere? And did I just was yes. it flashed on the screen? Yes. I didn't see it. Yeah, I saw meant, it written somewhere. Like when the first guy left, when mm-hmm. David Crusoe left, they wrote DOR over his name, and I'm like, I think fully mentioned it. I want to say fully mentioned it at the beginning of basic training. I want to get your DOR. That's a drop on request. You know, uh, okay. but uh, but Gear goes back there to do it, and he's like, "I don't need the Navy, I don't." He, he didn't need Deborah Winger. He's like, "I don't need anything," you know. And it was it was great because I mean, at that point, it's like the movie needs like something. It needs a big final confrontation, and, and then boy, do you get it? I think when they fight him, him and Foley. And the thing was, I feel like that scene wouldn't work so well if it wasn't for the actors. Like they just sell the hell out of it, and and behind the scenes, so they were both working on their their moves and and, and all their blocking and everything. And I guess Gossett just wasn't getting it. He just it wasn't working. So they get in to do the scene, and and it just wasn't working. So Gear got frustrated and actually kicked him in the balls. <laughs> so Gossett left. He walked off the scene, like he walked off the set. He's like, I'm not doing this anymore, and he left. And so the director was like, okay, we need to get another, like a stand-in. It kind of looks like him to kind of shoot some of these scenes. And, that, and that's what they had to do, you know. But um, but the scene works well. Like, it's just, oh, man, that was oh, it's so good. And then I love how it cuts to the graduation. And the camera is, like, cycling through all the graduates one by one. And then the director waits. Like, he pulls it back, right? And then finally you see Mayo. Right, so you really because at this point you don't know if he's still there, if he's going to be there or not. You, you don't mm-hmm. know. I thought the movie was very well directed, and then I like when the graduates come up one at a time and they give fully the silver dollar. Yeah, I had to look up what that meant. It's a tradition, right? Like, yeah, they, they I, like, yeah. I don't know anything about the military, the U.S. military, especially. I was like, but yeah, when I was reading in the notes, I'm like, oh, that's what that was all about. Okay, but the thing is, is that the, the tradition is you give the silver dollar. And then it's your saluting officer, whichever officer you first saluted, usually your, your drill sergeant, right? And you, you give the silver dollar and then the, 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 the officer takes it and puts it in his left pocket. But with Mayo, he puts it in his right pocket because it signified that's more important to go in the right pocket. That is like a more significance because he was like a father figure to him, yeah. right? And then the final scene, which you mentioned, um, you know, you thought it was a bit contrived, but I mean, it is one of the most famous closing scenes in movie history. Yeah, and that, I think that's partly why it didn't work as well for me because I've seen it par- been parodied yes. and it, like it was on the Simpsons. I think and the Simpsons yeah, did it. That's and, all I kept thinking the whole time, where it's yeah. like, "Tell my wife, my boss, I'm going to the back seat of the car with the woman I love, and I won't be back for 15 minutes." Right, I'm like from the Simpsons. all through that scene. That's all I kept thinking. I just saw it somewhere else recently, too. I can't remember where it was. Oh, it's uh, been done a tons of times. But yeah, that, my, yeah. my wife was just watching something the other day, though. 
and they were reenacting that scene. It was on the Big Bang Theory or something like that. I mean, definitely like a huge, huge Hollywood moment. But mm-hmm. I don't know. For all the reasons that I just mentioned, I, I thought this movie was fantastic. And I I liked it as much watching it now as I did when I first saw it, like, you know, 30 years ago or whatever it was, 40 years ago. And uh, I don't know. You didn't like it. You thought it was dumb. It's okay. You're wrong. It's okay to be wrong. But uh, no, I thought it was great. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I'm glad that I picked this movie. I thought it was good. So, well, I'll, I'll get, I mean, hey, it's your movie. You enjoy it. That's what's important. I didn't care for it. I certainly wouldn't recommend it to anybody I know. I asked my wife if she had seen it. And she's like, uh, not recently. I remember it was sort of long and boring. And I'm like, that's exactly what I thought. Long and boring. Not my kind of movie. But. Oh, well, you'd be wrong. Okay. <laughs> On that note, let's have some. Fun with Caveman. All right, my man, it is over to you. So what do you like to do with me? This All right. Week? So uh, it turns out that in the 1980s, there were a lot of movies made about people going into the military and the movie focused a lot on like basic training. In okay. fact, I found 10, including this one. Where from 1980 to 1989, the common theme was that these movies were were about people joining the military, basic training, the whole bit. Some of them I, I, I've seen and I'm very familiar with. Some I never even heard of and I had to look them up. But uh, I, you, you always, you know, tout yourself as the 80s movies guy. So um, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. I'm going to give you the quiz here. I'm going to give you some some clues. And the common theme is that. All of these movies okay. were made in the 80s. Oh, they're from the like, 80s? Okay. They all came on the 80s, and they all have something to do with military and, and people in the military going through some sort of basic training or something of that nature. That's a common thread for all these. Some of these I know are going to be super-duper easy because they're very popular movies. Some of these you may never have heard of. I know I hadn't, but, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's run through the list. <clears throat> and I'm just going to start... Uh, uh, in 1980 and then we're going to move through the decade you know i'm just going to do them in the order they came out sure i am going to uh, start by giving you the year and the and the director okay if that doesn't give it to you you tell me if you want the synopsis or a list of the stars i'll give you the option you pick one or the other and then we'll see if you can go from there all right like i said some of these are super easy okay first one 1980 Mm -hmm. and the director is Robert Downey Sr. Oh, I need more. I'll need a synopsis. Okay. Four boys are sent for different reasons to a military academy. The life of discipline asks a lot of four geeks. Of course, these boys know how to make a party out of the hard times. Will they be real men after one year? Oh, it was up the academy. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. I had never heard of this movie. I was looking at it going, oh, yeah, I'm sure Chris has seen this. I've never seen it, but I, I've heard of it. Okay. All right. Up the Academy. Jeez. Oh, All right. Here's another one from 1980. Yeah. Okay. The, direct, the director is Howard Zeef. Maybe I might need a synopsis here. Okay. A sheltered young high society woman joins. Oh, I know. It's private. I know. This. It's Private Benjamin. It is Private Benjamin. Yeah. Okay. If you had asked for the stars, the first one on the list is Goldie Hawn. I'm yeah, like, well, well you'll yeah. get it from that. Uh, again, I've never seen that one either. 
It's right. quite good. It's quite good. I'll take your word for it. I've heard she was good in it, but yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, they made so it into a TV show for a while there. Too. I believe you're right. Okay. Yeah, so the girl uh, from airplane. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we had two from 1980. I'm going to give yeah. you two from 1981. Okay. First one, 1981 military themed directed by Ivan Reitman. Oh, stripes. Of course, stripes. Yes. Bill Murray, John Candy, Harold Ramis, Sean Young. Yeah. And we did that one on our podcast. So I knew you would get that one. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I know so. it is. Okay. Yeah. Also in 1981, not a comedy, directed by Harold Becker. I don't recognize the director, but was around that time, would have been Taps? Yes. 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 I, again, a movie I was I, not familiar with. So George I, C. Scott, Tom yeah, Cruise, Timothy Hutton, Sean Penn. I liked that movie a lot. I remember when it was on the movie channel when I was like 12, I watched that movie over and over. I like that movie a lot. It was good. What, I mean, I had the synopsis here, but what is it about? Like, I... so these recruits are in this military academy. And then for what I can't try to remember the reason now it's been so long, it gets shut down and George C. Scott like dies or something. And Timothy Hutton decides to take over and they sort of hold the whole academy under siege. And like the cops and the military come in and try and take it over. And they're like, no, we're, they have a standoff with the outside world. And they're like, no, we're not letting anybody in here. This is our property. And then it ends bloody. Okay. It's it's quite good. Not the direction I thought that was going in. Yeah, it was amazing. Far Cry from Stripes. Yeah, no. All right. 1982, we have this movie. So we're going to skip that one, obviously. 1983, we have a film directed by Frank Rodham. Frank Rodham. Oh, I don't know who that is. So I, I, might, say, I don't even know who that is. Yeah, I might, need, right. uh, might need a bit more. So here. this one says, in 1960s America, a black cadet is allowed acceptance into a seemingly oh. prestigious military academy. Is it? Is it a soldier story? No, it is not. Oh, okay. Let me continue with the synopsis. Yeah. Uh, accepted into a seemingly prestigious military academy, unleashing a barrage of corruption within the system that another cadet is willing to expose. Starring uh, the aforementioned David Keith. Oh, David Keith. Oh, he did a movie called, uh, what's it, The Lords of Discipline? Yes. 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 Also yes. starring Michael Bean, Barbara Bach, yes. Judge Reinhold, Bill Paxton, and a few other people I never heard of. Yeah. All right. Doing well on these. Okay. We got a couple easy ones because some of these. Well, it's from the are, 80s. So, I mean, yeah. Some of these movies are, are, are pretty well known. Like, I mean, Stripes is a gimme. Okay. Here's one. From 1986, from one of my all-time favorite movie directors, R.I.P. Tony Scott. Directed by Tony Scott, 1986, something to do with the military. Was it Top Gun? It was Top Gun. Nice. I figured that was a gimme one for you. All right. This one might be a gimme for you as well. So we went from 83 to 86. We're still in 1986. Okay. Directed by Clint Eastwood. Hmm. Also starring Clint Eastwood. Was it Firefox? No, but that did come out around this time. Yeah, it did. Uh, What else did he do around that time that had to do with the military? It was after Bronco Billy and all that stuff. 
What did he do? I can give you the synopsis. Yeah, you give me the synopsis, help. please. Okay, I just want to make sure that the title of the movie is on. Okay. Uh, hard-nosed, hard-living Marine gunnery sergeant Tom Highway, played by Clint Eastwood, clashes with his superiors and his ex-wife as he takes command of a spoiled recon platoon with a bad attitude. Oh, man, oh, man. I don't know. It was called Heartbreak Ridge. Oh, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. I've never, I've never seen, seen it either. Yeah. All right, uh, that was 86, 86. We moved to 87. Okay, 87. I don't think you've seen this, but I think you're going to get it off the director alone. Stanley Kubrick. Oh, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yes, Full Metal Jacket. Matthew no, Modine, Ari Emery, Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. yeah, we are definitely going to have to watch. You want to talk about a movie about basic training? This is a movie about basic training. Awesome film. We will be watching it at some point. When we do 1987, I may have to recommend this. Unless, did we do 1987? I don't think we've done 87. No, not yet. No. All right. Last one on the list. 1988, directed by Mike Nichols. Wow. Mike Nichols. What the hell did he direct in 88? I had to do with basic training. Was it Biloxi Blues? Yes. Yes. I was going to yeah. say, I, I saw this in the theater because it was marketed as a comedy. And believe me, there was not a lot of laughing going on in this movie. I saw it on the movie network once, and I remember it was quite good. It I was quite thinking, good. Yeah, I thought, oh, this movie is actually pretty good. It was. I saw it like year, obviously years ago when it came out on the movie network. Would have been the year after that, but oh, that, that was pretty good. I didn't. I didn't realize off the top of my head that uh, that Mike Nichols directed it until it just kind of came to me. So, oh, mm-hmm. that was good. Nice. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar, it's got Matthew Broderick, Christopher yep. Walken. Um, it's uh, it's really good. It's based on a Neil Simon play. It's uh, it's a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There, so those are the 10 movies, including this one we just reviewed, An Officer and a Gentleman. Those are our 10 films in the 80s that all have to do with basic training, military academies, that kind of thing. It was a common theme that ran through uh, ran through the movies uh, through the 80s. Uh, I mean, it's a theme that you still see in, in more modern movies, but it really seemed to be a um, you know, a desire to put this kind of thing on the screen in the eighties. So the best one of those was obviously stripes. My, one of my favorite films of all time, but I'm telling you, Derek, just, I wish you would reconsider officer and gentleman is so good. It is so good. Oh my God. I don't realize how good it was until I went back and watched it, you know, just this week. And I was like, Oh my God, this movie is fantastic. I mean, and critics agreed. Audiences agreed. It was in the top five, Films that year, it was nominated for six Academy Awards, including, you know, screenplay and acting awards. And it was great. Just Just, great. Just not my jam, man. Yeah, Yeah, I I can acknowledge that. I can acknowledge that it had strong performances and good direction and good Mm -hmm. writing and all the rest of that. You just didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't like it. It wasn't on a theme I really cared for. I didn't find the the story all that intriguing to me personally. It was like, no, I'm just was not into it whatsoever. No, no, oh, it was just so good. Okay, so it's over to you now. You have to pick a movie from 1982 for us to do on our next episode. So, what have you got for us? Yeah, uh, so I'm going to pick a movie that is ten times better than this one. <laughs> that's going to be tough, but go for it. No, I, I, I mean, I think that's being conservative. We're going to do the Steven Spielberg classic E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Oh, that's a. Great one. I didn't expect you to go there. So I wasn't yeah. going to. I had yeah. something else in mind that was a little more off the wall, and I was like, you know what? I haven't seen ET in probably ten years or more. Mm. Oh, me when, too. Yeah. When you re when you recap the list of our picks earlier, and you uh, you obviously ET was your number one pick, uh, and rightly so. I mean, it was the best movie of the year, the most the highest grossing movie of the year. Um, 
I just thought, you know what? Uh, if we haven't done ET, we're gonna have to do it. So I double checked it during the show. I'm like, no, we have not done ET, and you and Yancey didn't do ET. I'm like, we're doing ET. Nope. Yeah, we've never done it, so that's a great pick. Did yep. you see ET in the theater when it came out? I saw ET in the theater at least six or seven times. Wow. It, I, and I saw it if three recall, times in the theater. Yeah. When when we were younger, before VHS video cassette recorders, video cassette mm-hmm. players in your home was a thing. When a movie came to the theater and left the theater, that was it. You never saw the movie yep. again. For years Except and years. From time to time, really big, really popular movies would be re-released in theaters. Mm-hmm. And E.T. was one of those ones where it was re-released in the theater, I believe, more than once. Mm-hmm. Because I know I definitely went to see it during the original run a couple of times. I mean, I was only seven or eight years old, so my parents brought me a couple of times. But I can remember it being re-released either later that year or possibly the next year. And then when I lived in uh, Nova Scotia in 1985, I remember it was again re-released for a short time in the theater as well. And I can remember every time it was my all-time favorite movie next to Star Wars growing up. And every time it came back to the theater, I'm like, yep, mom, dad, we're going to see E.T. And they're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. It was phenomenal. It was something else. It was a spectacle. And like I say, it it started as a small movie and it just kind of grew. Yep. It just grew and grew and grew and grew. And it, yeah, it was fantastic. I think it's a great pick. Okay, so next week we're going to come back and we're going to watch E.T., the extraterrestrial. It's going to be awesome. So that was a good pick, Derek. So until then, this is Chris McBrien on behalf of myself and Derek Myers and our producer Slaw saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.